BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Here for the Right Reasons, Us Weekly's Bachelor podcast. I am your host, Sarah Heron, and we are only two weeks away, actually technically less than two weeks away from season 19 of The Bachelorette. And I'm so excited because from everything I'm hearing, this season is going to be one that has a lot to dissect. Um, Yes, Gabby and Rachel did film for a period of time on a cruise ship. There is an opportunity for the guys to jump from one bachelorette to another if the vibes are changing and just everything I've heard is it was quite an interesting situation behind the scenes. I recently did catch up with Jesse Palmer um, to talk about the upcoming season and Bachelor in Paradise but that is under embargo for another week so for now we're going to catch up on some of the biggest news in Bachelor Nation including If you didn't see this, from Hannah Brown's season 15 of The Bachelorette, Cam Ayala, he was ABC Cam, you know, always be Cam, also on season six of Bachelor in Paradise, underwent right leg amputation surgery, and he's going to be joining me in a minute to talk about his battle with uh, Lafadima and everything that he's been going through with his health. Um, So stay tuned for that because Cam will be here shortly, but I just wanted to quickly check in. Um, Obviously, I haven't done the podcast in a hot minute. It's been crazy with the summer, but we did have two major bachelor breakups. In case you missed it, gotta keep you informed. Nate and Michelle from our beloved season 18 of The Bachelorette have called it quits. Six months after the finale aired, they ended their engagement. They posted similar statements, um, lengthy statements, similar in the sense that they both kind of poured their heart out. Um, And I mentioned that because our second breakup, which was Katie and John, very brief statements on their part. And I understand both sides, just different strategies here. Michelle and Nate have made it very clear that they have a lot of love for each other, but they found out that they just were not quite as um, compatible as maybe they thought they would be. We know this show runs in an accelerated format, and sometimes that works because people go all in. Other times they take a step back. We know Nate was supposed to move to Minnesota. They were supposed to buy that house with the down payment ABC gave them. I have tried to find out what's happened to that down payment. Um, No luck so far, but I'm pretty sure they just don't get it. And um, they probably only actually got the money if they purchased the house, but that's just um, an assumption. Um, Michelle has since jetted off to Iceland. She has missed the last couple episodes of Bachelor Happy Hour, um, which I should have known when she wasn't on that Zoom with Becca Kufrin for the Bachelor official podcast junket that something was up. But she had just denied split rumors. Her and Nate just denied split rumors when Michelle was spotted without her ring um, earlier this month. And she claimed that she just handed it over to a friend to hold on to it. So a little bit confusing about the timing of that. But clearly, there's been trouble in paradise for a while. Like I said, he never made the move. Nate has since um, released 
a very lengthy statement denying a lot of speculation about the split, notably cheating, him being an F-boy, um, and how kind of Bachelor Nation is just saying that they always knew that he was a walking red flag and that the split now confirms that. Um, I feel bad for Nate. I mean, a lot of people questioned his intentions on the show, and we know it's an edited show. Um, I was one of them. I didn't really understand the appeal of Nate when the show was airing, but I said a million times that after interviewing them, I thought that they had a great um, back and forth and a really seemed really comfortable with each other, and this actually did surprise me. Again, they denied split rumors also earlier this month, so I don't know why I go to that effort if only a few weeks later where things are going to be rocky, um, but I also don't think he would be denying something so hard if there was truth to it because we, as we know in Bachelor Nation, especially now that Michelle is associated with Bachelor Happy Hour, it's not like this is going to go away. Um, so interesting to see what happens next with these two. I'm sad. I can't lie. I really, I, I, I believed in them after doing an interview with them, which I said to you guys. So who knows what's next for these two, but Katie and John have also called it quits. Um, in case you forgot, Katie Thurston, our season 17 bachelorette who picked Blake Moynes. And after two months after the finale aired, about probably five months total of engagement called to quits, then started dating John Hirsey from her season who she sent home week two of the show they stayed friends then they started dating confirmed it november via the 12 days of messy um taylor swift's begin again wonder if taylor swift is upset she played a part in that narrative now just kidding um they are also over so it's been about six months um they moved in together i believe he moved into her apartment in san diego um and they are over but they are clearly on good terms because they've been hanging out with their mutual friends your tammy your stefan lovegrove who's been on this show um, they were all at like a carnival together. Um, so clearly on good terms, but just not working out. Uh, Katie simply posted statement. We are not together, <laughs> um, which I think maybe because Katie's probably poked fun at the lengthy statements and the breakup statements. And I think when her and Blake did it, she kind of poked fun at herself about the, you know, it's with like the deepest appreciation and utmost sadness that we part ways. So I I guess I respect her going the other way. Um, it caused a little confusion because some people thought maybe she was joking or that that shouldn't be taken as confirmation. So then John did release a little bit more statement of we are no longer dating. It's hard to be open about sad times in the public. Katie has since said she's, quote, dating herself, um, which, you know, I'm not here to judge, but probably a good idea. It's a whirlwind year. You on Matt James season. You were engaged to Blake, then you started dating John. That's just a lot going on. Um, no judgment again. It just kind of makes sense. Maybe her and Michelle should team up um, and, I don't know, date outside Bachelor Nation or within Bachelor Nation to keep it interesting. Anyway, um, those were the two big breakups, as you probably knew, but those are my two cents of what happened. And now we move on to my interview with Cam. I am joined now by Cam, who you may remember from Hannah Brown's season of The Bachelorette, but he's got a lot going on and a lot more outside of Bachelor Nation. And I just want to start by saying you are, what, six days post your most recent surgery, correct? I am. And like less than 60 minutes from being discharged from the hospital. So this is an exclusive. This is an exclusive. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. All, all things considered. Um, I know we'll probably get more into the details of the kind of surgery I had, but the pain definitely comes in waves. So I'm uh, enjoying the brief moments where I'm not inundated with the pain. So fortunately, this is one of those moments. So we'll keep riding this wave. Awesome. Okay. Well, if you don't mind, for those who aren't overly familiar with everything that you've been through for the past 
couple decades, I would assume if I've everything I've read is correct. Um, can you tell yeah. me a little bit about your, your health battle and when you were first diagnosed and everything that led you up to this moment? Sure. And, you know, we could be on this call for like three hours if I went through everything, but I'll try to keep it as high level as possible. But really, my health journey started when I was 11 years old. Um, So that's when I guess myself and my parents and like some of the coaches from Little League Sports noticed something was different and wrong with me. Uh, Cause I started having really bad lower back pain after every like basketball game, for example. And my running gait looked pretty odd. It, it almost looked like I was like skipping or limping up and down the basketball court. So when they did a um, x-ray, they could see very quickly that my right leg was about an inch and a half shorter than my left at that time, which is somewhat normal because that's around the age where a lot of people go through puberty and those growth spurts. And I'm relatively tall. I'm about six foot four. So I was growing kind of fast for my age. So we didn't think there was anything abnormal with that leg length discrepancy. But however, when the doctor got the x-ray results back, he could see that my right leg was an inch and a half shorter than my left, but also saw some like weird spots on my like knee area that looked like it could have been cancerous. And so to rule out cancer, they did an emergency uh, bone biopsy surgery which, um, you know, it's a outpatient procedure, but because it was my first surgery at age 11, they cut a little bit deeper than they needed to. And so as a result of that surgery, my right leg just progressively started to swell like worse and worse. And like normally for really any type of surgery, when you have post-op swelling, that's pretty normal, right? So, mm-hmm. or if you've like rolled your ankle or like banged your knee up playing sports, you're going to have swelling. That's pretty normal for whatever the activity is. But for me, the fact that my right leg at one point was like three or four times the size of my left, it didn't make any sense why. And beyond that, it was just incredibly painful. So um, it took us about a year of like just going through different specialty clinics and seeing different doctors and the medical center in Houston, Texas, where I reside um, for us to finally get a definitive diagnosis, which finally came out to be primary lymphedema. So you'll hear me say that word lymphedema a lot um, because that's kind of like, A, the disease that I have, but it's also what I spend a lot of my free time and professional time doing, which is bringing awareness to this disease. Mm-hmm. And then just high level for lymphedema, um, for those of you who have never heard about it, there's really two types. There's primary and secondary. Primary is more of the like hereditary genetic side. Like I, I had primary because I was born with it. Whereas secondary is much more common, but you see that, for example, very common in women who've had breast cancer, for example, where they like remove lymph nodes or have a mastectomy or go through chemo or radiation or any of those types of cancer treatment where that trauma actually causes lymphedema. So regardless, if you have primary or secondary lymphedema, the treatment protocols are pretty much the same for both. And then also both of them are progressive uh, in nature and there's currently no cure for these diseases. So um, you can imagine, you know, being at my age, 11 years old, a thinking you have cancer, but then told you don't have cancer, but then being told you have this other disease that will inevitably get worse over time and that there's no cure for it. And they hand you this little trifold at the clinic you know, before Google image or Google MD, right. Mm -hmm. And you look at it and you see these patients that have just really, really swollen arms or legs, you know, you see elephantitis, you see stage three lymphedema, 
And really like, that's where your mind immediately goes like, okay, that's my fate. That's my destiny. That's what my future looks like. Are these poor people who have just these incredibly large limbs? Cause really your lymphatic system touches every organ in your entire body from head to toe. So really you can get lymphedema anywhere, even in your head and neck and face, but it's more common in like extremities, like your arms or your legs. And so for me, I've always had it primarily in my right leg, uh, mostly around the knee area. That's where I presented. So basically lymphedema just means you have a compromised lymphatic system. And that can either be caused by trauma, like physical trauma, surgical trauma, even things as basic as a bug bite or scraping your knee. Uh, Patients can get lymphedema that way. Or it could be something you're born with, which was my case. I was born with it, but it was just that surgery that really kind of kick-started everything. Um, so that's kind of high level where my lymphedema journey began was at age 11 and over a year of just seeking different opinions to finally getting a definitive diagnosis. Wow. And since then, you've had, I believe, 16 knee surgeries until now? That, right? that is correct. And because your lymphatic system is directly correlated to your immune system, oftentimes patients that have lymphedema or any other lymphatic diseases, they're basically um, really uh, immune to getting reoccurrences of infections, right? So that could be uh, the most common one is cellulitis, which is a skin infection that can turn sepsic and can basically become lethal if it goes unmonitored or untreated. Um, and then for me, I had a more severe case. I have what's called osteomyelitis, which osteo just means bone. And so myelitis means reoccurrence of infection. So the reoccurrence of infection in the bone and the lymphedema definitely wasn't helping it because anytime I had one of those bouts of infection, they had to basically go in and do emergency surgery every time. And just like you just said, yeah, now uh, counting my most recent surgery this past Wednesday, I've now had 17 surgeries on that knee joint um, for the past uh, going on 20 years now. Wow. So almost a a surgery a year, almost. (laughs) How did you fit in two stints on The Bachelor in between all of this? Well, fortunately, when I was um, on The Bachelorette and then shortly after there in, in Paradise, that was kind of a healthy season for me. I hadn't had any infections in about a year or two. So I was doing pretty well. I was working out like crazy, especially leading up to Paradise, trying to, to get in shape for the beach. But um, I was fortunate enough that I didn't really have any bouts of infection when I was out there filming. And another thing that I actually have pretty big regrets about is I wasn't really wearing my compression stocking, like the garment that I should have been wearing all throughout the day. So when people who have seen me on the Bachelor or Bachelor in Paradise, A, they're probably not going to notice that my legs are that swollen because I do such a good job of managing it, especially in the nighttime. Like I even wear a nighttime compression garment which I did pretty consistently, but I was pretty self-conscious during Mm -hmm. Bachelorette and in Paradise. So I didn't want to wear like my black full leg garment, um, which was medically necessary, but I just chose not to. So I know that if I had a time glass or uh, an hourglass or a time machine, you can go back and do it again. I would have definitely been more compliant and more visible about my lymphedema disease journey versus just trying to hide it under the rug, which a lot of patients do, unfortunately. Yeah. Wow. And this past week, six days ago is when you had your leg amputation surgery. Is that the correct term? Correct. Yes. So six days ago, last Wednesday, the 22nd, I had an above the knee amputation. 
And it was scheduled to be about a three to four hour procedure because um, the procedure itself is relatively straightforward, right? They have the orthopedic oncologist who kind of just comes in and makes the cut. And then if you're lucky, they have a really good plastic or vascular surgeon to come in behind him or her and then basically close up the wound and do any other type of, you know, nerve or venous type of surgery to make sure everything heals as properly as possible. So my surgery ended up taking eight hours. So um, it was a long time to be under and it was a pretty major surgery, not just because of the lifestyle adjustment, but because of the intricacy and the amount of like surgical work that the plastic surgeon had to do after the amputation was completed. How did you get yourself in like a mindset going into that? And now you see, I mean, obviously you're probably exhausted, but you, your Instagram mm-hmm. posts, you're sharing, you're opening up about it. And I know you lean on your faith. I've seen some of those posts, but how did you like mentally even prepare for that surgery a week ago? Well, as I've said before, there's a very big difference between a planned amputation and a sporadic spontaneous mm-hmm. amputation, right? Like most sporadic or spontaneous ones, people think of, okay, like a combat veteran who steps on a landmine and next thing you know, he or she wakes up and they're in the OR or they're in recovery and, you know, half of their extremity is blown off or even more commonly, you know, God forbid you get into automobile accident and you end up losing an extremity, right? You don't have that reaction time. You just, you're in it, you have the trauma, boom, and then you're kind of in shock, I would assume. And then you wake up and then all of a sudden your life is drastically different, right? There's pros and cons to that. Just like there's pros and cons to the planned amputation, which is what I had. So when we basically determined this past March that the knee replacement, the total knee replacement that I had about a year ago was not done properly, which would explain why I had such a terrible time all of last year trying to rehab and try to recover from that knee replacement. Um, we determined that getting an above knee amputation was medically necessary. And so it took about two and a half months of me doing pre-surgery. It's called prehab. So, you know, you all heard of rehab, but prehab is just the same, but it's doing the rehabilitation in preparation for the surgery. So I spent a lot of time at this gym called the league where I had a personal trainer who is also kind of like a spiritual leader for me too. just really helped get my body and my mind prepared for this life-changing surgery so that when there's times where I'm using right now, my little forearm crutches, uh, I have the upper body strength and the core strength and all of the other shoulder strengths to be able to adequately move myself until I get fitted for the prosthetic leg, which that doesn't just happen right away, right? right. Like surgical site um, that I'm currently healing right now, it has to take anywhere from two to four weeks to heal properly before you start the the fabrication process for the prosthetic leg. So it's all a process. And fortunately, I got to be educated and I got to meet the team who's going to be making my leg once that time comes, getting to meet my physical therapist ahead of time and getting to interview all these top different surgeons to finally like pick my my A team, the ones who were able to successfully perform the, the surgery. So Again, that was pretty daunting too. just like going to sleep every night, knowing that you're basically delaying the inevitable. It's almost like that hourglass of of the sand falling and you just know it's a matter of time before you literally lose a physical part of yourself that's been attached to you or my case, all of my life, all 33 years. So having to part ways with that leg was a pretty emotional experience for sure. Yeah, I would imagine. And now going forward, in addition to obviously like rehab of learning, 
how to walk with your prosthetic and everything in that sense is because the area that you had, um, the lymphedema and technically gone, does that part go away or how does that work? That is a great question. And I actually need to do like an Instagram video about that very question because my inbox has been flooded by that, by that question or that sentiment. Like, Oh, okay. You had lymphedema in that leg and they removed the leg. So now the lymphedema is gone. You're healed. Yay. Well, unfortunately that's not how that works. And definitely by no means cured or healed mm-hmm. from the lymphedema. Um, my case is pretty unique in that, like the reason why I had to get the amputation is because I had bad hardware and they're from the knee replacement. And okay. just with the chronic episodes of infection, that knee joint wasn't really stable to receive good hardware anyway. So it was kind of delaying the inevitable by getting the knee replacement. It was kind of like my last ditch effort to keep the leg and see if it could still be functional, but it just unfortunately inevitably wasn't. So basically the lymphatic system and lymphedema, it's a mechanical issue, right? So it doesn't move the fluid the right way that it's supposed to. So think of it like you have bad plumbing, bad pipes in your house, right? So it gets backed up. The water starts to rise up in the toilet or in the sink, wherever the flooding is. And then in that case, like for my leg, because that fluid doesn't move properly, it just kind of grows stagnant and accumulates there in my knee joint and gets bigger and bigger and swollen. So that's why wearing those compression garments and using a compression pump was necessary to help move that fluid, make it go upstream because it naturally is trying to go downstream. So just because they remove most of my leg above the knee doesn't mean that all my lymphatic vessels are healed and cured. There's still going to be some swelling in my residual limb. Uh, that's just another word they use for like the stump, right? Or the, the remains of my, of my right leg. Um, there's still going to be some swelling there. I'm still going to have to wear custom compression garments over it, but hopefully the lymphedema is not as bad because the gravitational pull is less because it's, you know, not as much of a leg, right? All that part below the knee is gone. So I'm not cured of the lymphedema. It just may help um, prevent the chronic, um, inflammation in that area. And when you put on a prosthetic leg, it has a pretty strong compression grip to it, similar to like the compression garments I was wearing anyway. So it's, it's kind of like, I'm just exchanging one for the other type of thing, but yeah, I'm by no means cured of my lymphedema. Okay. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, as someone who's just learning as I'm going, I, it, that's sure. I'm sure a question people are probably getting from, from you. Absolutely. Yep. Um, what is one thing specifically that you do want people to know, um, about this disease and everything that you've been, that you've been going through and so many other people are going through that they might not know about? Yeah. Um, well, the biggest thing is that though it's considered a rare disease, it's actually not that rare. It's, it's only classified as rare because the medical community doesn't know a whole lot about the lymphatic system in general. And the reason why is when a med school student is in their medical school for four years, on average, they're only getting about 15 to 30 minutes of curriculum and material on the entire lymphatic system, which lymphatic system, as I was saying earlier, starts in the tips of your toes and ends in the top of your head. It's all over your body, your lymphatic system, the lymph fluid, the lymph vessels, the lymph nodes. I'm sure you've heard if you've had swollen right. throat, oh, your lymph nodes are swollen, right? So what I want the general public to understand is it's not that rare. In fact, there's over 10 million Americans alone that have lymphedema, which that patient population is larger than AIDS, MLS, MS, and Parkinson's combined, right? So, but you don't really hear a lot of people talking about it because there's not a lot of research done on it. There's not a lot of public knowledge about it. So 
Um, the company that I work for, it's actually a global nonprofit called Learn, and that's an acronym for Lymphatic Education and Research Network. So it's literally my day-to-day job to help change that because our mission is to see a day where we can fight all lymphatic diseases through our education, our research, and our advocacy. So I've actually partnered up with uh, Academy Award-winning actress Kathy Bates, who's now a good friend of mine, um, who has lymphedema from her breast cancer battle. Um, She's also our national spokesperson for LEARN. So we just recently filmed some public service announcements that we partnered with the CDC. And those PSAs are going to be live on your airways sometime here coming in the next few weeks. So keep a lookout for those. And so that will be really exciting just to have that awareness uh, brought to to the disease. And the other thing too, is I will say is it is not a cosmetic disease. A lot of people... A lot of people think that it is cosmetic, but it's not. It's it Im- impacts a lot of people's mobilities. So that is that is the issue is that there's just not enough awareness about it. Wow. So but Kathy yeah. Bates, that's pretty. That's I didn't know that about Kathy Bates either. But that's that's cool that you're working. Yeah, together. I mean, and it impacts her her filming, like when she does shows like American Horror Stories. Thinking about like long days out there in the heat, both of her arms swell pretty bad. So when they're doing wardrobes and costumes, they have to keep that in mind and make sure she's comfortable and make sure she can physically do some of the stunts or some of the activities. So it definitely impacts her and her career for sure. I mean, for you, it probably feels like so long ago you even did like the bachelorette and everything, but it really wasn't that long ago, like year wise. But look, how do you even feel looking back on that experience? Because from what I can remember, I, I almost feel like, didn't they like kind of use this against you? 100%. Um, it was definitely used against me and I was, I guess, in a sense, kind of villainized for it. I mean, if if you go back and watch the episodes, basically I had the conversation with Hannah Brown about my lymphedema. And they didn't even air the word lymphedema. So the general public couldn't even hear the name of the disease that I have. Right. So that was frustrating. But then beyond that, when she was done having her conversation with me, she had another conversation with Mike Johnson. And he basically told her that I was making up this medical sob story so I could get a pity rose. Right. Which still is just complete BS because... First off, I wouldn't even want a pity rose because if you're trying to win this woman's heart and she's going to be your potential future fiance and then wife, like, why would you want to be pitied? Right. Like, so that was really the first time in my life that someone and a group of people had like really made me feel guilty and bad for having a disease. And it was really used against me when in reality, like I know in past seasons, that when people kind of have, you know, whether it's a disease or disability or some sort of trauma, that's like their thing, their thing that makes them unique, the thing that can be triggered, their thing that could be used against them. And I just never thought that my lymphedema would be something that was used against me and that whole environment, because I was very transparent and clear with Hannah. And the reason why I wanted to be is because if I was invited on a one-on-one date or a group date later on in the experience where they got really physical, like, I guess, the week after I got sent home, they were playing rugby. Like if I was invited to be on that group date, I wouldn't have been able to play with just the history of my knee health. So to me, that would have felt more calculated and manipulative if I would have pulled her aside there in that moment, be like, oh, hey, by the way, I can't participate in today's activity because I have this disease. I wanted to tell her as soon as possible. And I, you know, finally did get an opportunity to tell her and she received it well, but that was very short lived because Right after I had the conversation with her, like I said, Mike Johnson and I think maybe some other guys in the mansion had told her that I was basically coming up with this big 
last ditch effort to stay in the competition. And I was going to use my disease as a leverage for that, which is still just blows my mind. Yeah, it is weird. Cause you mentioned, I mean, that a trope of the show is someone not that it's, it's, that's a bad word too, because people are just opening up about their lives, but it's kind of like a staple part of the show. And you might open up earlier in life because you're in an accelerated format of talking to right. someone. So it doesn't really make sense, especially like looking back, what a missed opportunity for the show. It was a missed opportunity for the show. And one thing that just like still to this day crushes me is that like, that was my like coming out of being a lymphedema patient, right? Like I had been hiding it for years. Like if you were to look on my social media prior to the bachelorette and all the other reality TV stuff, I never talked about it. I never even had pictures of me wearing my garments because I was ashamed. I was in hiding. So to have a show that has that million of people who watch it, I could have had a better representation for the lymphedema community by wearing my compression garments with pride, by talking about it and not having it removed from what actually aired. So that was really disheartening for me. And even in the Bachelor in Paradise reunion, I had a t-shirt made that said, I have lymphedema, Google it. I told the producers, I said, look, that's what I'm going to wear. You guys aren't going to edit me out anymore. Like, this is it. Like, I've given way too much of myself. I've been way too kind and accommodating. This is my moment to bring representation to the 10 million Americans who don't know how to fight for themselves, who don't even know the name of the disease that they have. And when I did that, and they literally blurred out the lettering on the t-shirt, like I was wearing some curse word. To me, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Wow. And I haven't been a part of anything, I guess, Bachelor Nation ever since. Because then also, you know, COVID hit and then yeah. I got my knee replaced. So I was dealing with some some health stuff of my own. But um, yeah, that's kind of how my journey of lymphedema, you know, then spilled over into the Bachelor Nation franchise. But then as a result of other lymphedema patients knowing that I had it, that's when I got a chance to meet up with Kathy Bates and accept her invitation to become an ambassador with Learn. And then eventually, two years later now, become a full-time employee with that nonprofit. Did anyone ever reach out to you and like apologize or acknowledge or sense your surgery last week? No. Wow. No, not at all. And like, that was probably the other most disheartening part about the conversation I had with Anna and what was actually aired with what I was speaking about to Hannah, as I talked about how in 2017, when I had a really bad, bad bout of infection that I almost had my leg amputated, like that was almost a reality back in 2017. And I basically conveyed to her, I said, look, like, I know a lot of these guys here in the house are younger than me. They may be stronger than me. They may be more handsome than me. But I told her, I said, look, I have a different kind of strength. It's a strength that has persevered from all these surgeries, from fighting this disease daily. And that's the kind of husband, that's the kind of man I'll be as someone who will fight for you daily. And to have something as serious as a near amputation literally edited and portrayed in like a slapstick comedy kind of way. I mean, that crushed me. And then the fact that now I actually had to go through and get the amputation, there still hasn't been any reach out from the franchise or any remorse from any of the guys on my season. Me like, oh, bro, I'm so sorry. Like, I had no idea that it was that serious. Yeah, it, it was the serious back then, just as it's as serious as it is right now. Yeah. And I think that's the message that needs to be relayed. It's like if people, contestants are going to open up their hearts and tell you things that are especially having to do with a disease that should not be held against them like it was for me. Yeah. I mean, why? Like in what did you even want to go to paradise? Were you just hoping for like another shot I, at getting to I open didn't, up? I didn't want to. I I honestly didn't want to, um, but 
everyone was really good at doing their jobs and convincing me that uh, paradise was made for guys like me to get redemption. And that there was a lot of girls from Colton season who were asking about me and blah, blah, blah. And so in my mind, I thought that I had reached rock bottom and it couldn't get any worse. So I figured, okay, I could go to paradise and get redemption and find my person there and live happily ever after and believe in the process. And I chose to go into that experience with that same headspace and you know, same shit, different toilet type of thing. Just didn't, didn't pan out too well for me. Well, you got a great nickname, ABC cam, (laughs) (laughs) which I had before I got on the show. And I think just the producers really liked it because it was on ABC network. I had that as an inside joke with one of my, um, one of my managers at my previous job when I was selling software in Austin before I got into the medical space that I'm in now. But he's like, dude, just be yourself. ABC always be cam. And I was just like joking. And I said that jokingly with the producer my first night in the mansion. And like, oh, we love that. Say that again. Say that again. And the next thing you knew, like anytime I was doing an interview, they somehow managed to get me to say it, even though I was just being satirical and joking. Right. You don't call yourself that normally. Got got dubbed in to make it sound like I just speak in third person all the time. (laughs) Oh, I mean, at least some of the stuff like that, you can laugh off. But some of the more serious, I totally understand that it's just a missed opportunity. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'll let you go and rest, but overall, like short-term goals, long-term goals, um, with your health, with life, like, does that make any sense yeah. even as a question? Absolutely. Share. Yeah. I mean, my short-term and long-term goals haven't changed from what they were from when I first went on the show. Like I'd love to get married, be a husband, and then eventually be a father, right? Whether that's having kids naturally or adopting or surrogates. I just, it's in my DNA. It's in my heart that I do want to be a father. I do want to be a husband. So I would love that that happens sooner rather than later, but I've also leaned really heavily into my faith and know that that's all in God's time of when that's supposed to happen and who that's supposed to happen with. So I'm not putting as much pressure on that. And obviously I haven't been like openly dating since I've been so hyper-focused on getting myself mentally and physically and emotionally prepared for the surgery, which I just underwent. So now short term, it's all about physical therapy and rehab, having the wound heal, get fitted for my prosthetic leg, learn how to walk again, learn how to jog again, learn how to fight again, and then just learn how to have a new normal. And I think in that journey and in that process, if it's supposed to happen, then my person who will come along won't see me as a burden, but will see me as a blessing and we'll be able to build our lives together and raise children who will be very sympathetic and empathetic to those with disabilities. Absolutely. And for us weekly listeners and readers who want to follow your journey on Instagram, I assume you'll be sharing some updates. I know you've already have a little bit from, from this hospital and everything. Absolutely. You know, I'll update as much as I can, but we're also, um, I have a crew called the maybe God team. Um, they're Mm -hmm. from my church, but they're filming a documentary. We actually been filming for the past couple of weeks now. So we have all the pre-surgery stuff filmed and we've been filming leading up to surgery and even today leaving the hospital. And so that's only the first half of the story. Now the real story is, is in the recovery and in the, you know, the redemption and, and the triumph. So that's what I'm aiming towards. That's what I'm hoping and praying for. And that's what I hope everyone follows me on the journey for. Wow. Well, I wish you a, a, a amazing recovery and all good things. And I hope that you get some rest and thank you for taking time to talk to me on, on a, such a crazy day. Oh, my pleasure. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Here for the Right Reasons, Us Weekly's Bachelor podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, tell your friends about this podcast, and come back every week for more Bachelor breakdowns. Bye.